glad you're here today. Glad we can come and worship God together. And uh, just keep, can't keep thinking about that verse that says, where two or three are gathered together uh, in my name, there I am in their midst. So the Lord's with us. Amen. He's with us here. We're gathered together in the name of the Lord. And uh, hoping that and praying that this uh, word from God in Ephesians 6 will be a blessing to you. Um, and so let's go to prayer here this morning. Heavenly Father, we, we do come to you uh, looking to you. Um, and uh, I think about the disciples who, um, who uh, Jesus told them when others were leaving him and, and kind of turning away. He said, are you going to leave me too? And they said, uh, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of life. And so, Lord, we, we know that uh, Jesus doesn't only have, not only have the words of eternal life, but words of life for us here, words uh, to help us live an abundant life, the life that we are called to. And so, Lord, we, we just ask and pray that you would minister to us through the word today. And we also want to pray and lift up um, anyone in our church family who's, who's sick right now, who's ill, who needs your healing touch. Lord, we just pray that your Holy Spirit would touch them and make them whole, would fix whatever is broken. And Lord, we also just lift up our brothers and sisters in our church family who are hurting right now. They're grieving. They've experienced a loss. Uh, and we just pray, Lord, that you would um, wrap your loving arms around them through your Holy Spirit and through the body of the church. Lord, we just uh, pray that... Um, we ask and pray that your presence with us would just be palpable, Lord, today. And uh, we need it, Lord. We need you uh, more than anything. And so, Lord, we ask and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, we are continuing in Ephesians chapter 6, covering the, the dip, different uh, armor of God, pieces of the armor of God. We're coming up on the the uh, offensive weapon, the Word of God, the Spirit. It's called the Sword of the Spirit. Um, Linda and I, when we think back on the early days of our church and uh, kids getting take-home papers and so on, one of our kids, whose initials are Caleb, um, sorry, Caleb, uh, always used to make his take-home papers into a sword. I don't care. The lessons probably was love your neighbor, and it turned into a sword. You know, there's just something about that. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I just thought it was this kind of interesting, the sword, you know, the sword of the spirit. And also growing up, how many kids, fam- how many of your families had the lightsabers, right, from Star Wars? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, we're talking about something way more powerful than that and to slay way more powerful enemies than Darth Vader, all right? Um, but I think it's important, though, just to remember uh, this is in the context of fighting a spiritual battle, right? We are in a, in a passage here where it's been unveiled to us that every believer has been enlisted in the army of God but has an enemy. And, uh, you know, if you're a believer... The worst, I mean, Satan can't, uh, can't take you away from God in terms of uh, your salvation. So the best he can do is try to sideline you or render you kind of uh, ineffective 
for uh, use, if you will. Okay, so he wants to sideline you. Just think about that, right? Uh, that he wants to, uh, you know, the, the things that God has called you to do, like it says in Ephesians 2.10, that he's, he has good works for us, planned out in advance, right? He wants to distract you from doing those things. He wants to uh, render you feeling like God can't use you anymore because you've so screwed up. And that just uh, is a big lie, okay? Um, so this morning, uh, let's take a look at this passage one more time. If you're able to, why don't you stand up? If you're able to stand up, let's read it together today. Sometimes I've been reading it. Sometimes we read it together. Let's read it aloud together today. And let's just hear the words here together. Ready? Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is God's word. Please have a seat. You know, that's one way to memorize Scripture is you just keep reading it over and over and over again, right? Not a bad thing. In fact, you know, oftentimes when you study a book of the Bible, um, people will tell you, read it through several times. Read the entire book through it several times so that you can get a sense of the flow, right? But the more you read something over and over, the more it becomes a part of you. You remember uh, you know, and you, it's really a way to um, hide God's word in our heart, is it not? So the sword of the spirit today. You know, I wanted to mention before we kind of dive into this, how important it is for us to realize the vital role that the Holy Spirit plays in the life of a believer. Okay. Um, if you just take a look at this book of the Bible that we're in, this letter written to the church at Ephesus in the book of Ephesians alone, Take a look here, Ephesians chapter 1, just to see the role of the Spirit in the life of the believer. Ephesians chapter 1, and right around uh, verse 13, it says, In him, meaning Jesus, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth and the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Now, isn't it important that we hear the gospel, right? You got to hear it to believe it. 
So when we heard it, at some point, if we're, if we're believers, right, we, have to, we had, to have hear the, had to have heard the gospel and we had to have believed it. And when that happened, it says that we were given the Holy Spirit. It says we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. I love that idea of sealing because it gives this idea of permanence, that we are sealed permanently, permanently with the Holy Spirit. It says, verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That's cool too, because it says we've been given the Holy Spirit for a lot of different reasons, but one is he's been given to us as a guarantee, almost like a down payment, if you will, right? We've been, have the deposit of the Holy Spirit in us. The Lord's going to come back for us and take us as his own, right? And so in that aspect, he's been given to us as a guarantee. You are God's child. You have the Spirit of God because you have Him when you believe, okay? And so we see that the Holy Spirit has a a key role in our salvation, right? In our salvation. Now, if you fast forward a little bit, I'm not hitting on every little part in Ephesians that talks about the Spirit, but a couple of ones that that just really stuck out to me. In Ephesians chapter 5, right before you get to the section on um, the household, husbands, wives, right? Uh, and, and how you relate to people that you work with or, or um, you know, that kind of thing, how parents relate to children and so on. Once you get to those, they call them how, kind of household instructions. Look what he starts with right before he gets into that. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15, he says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, you get to verse 18, listen, it says, and do not, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. So there's this command. He's like, and he's liking it, likening it to uh, being drunk. You know, he says, well, don't get drunk with wine, sort of get filled with the Spirit, okay? And this idea of filling here in this passage really has to do with being controlled by the Spirit, right? To be controlled by, all right? It's just, it's the idea of a yieldedness. Now, um, I'm sure if you're a driver, uh, you've probably been around one of the many roundabouts in our town, right? And if you're the one coming on to the roundabout, what are you supposed to do? Yield. You're supposed to, right? <laughs> Not everybody got that memo, did they? Right? Or they think that, you know, they can they could beat the person coming around the curve, right? They're not yielding. Instead, they're yelling, you know? But this idea of yielding is you're deferring to, right? You're, you're deferred to, you're submitting to. And that's what it means to be controlled by the Spirit, is to be yielded to Him, to be submitted to Him, whether it's to His promptings or to the words that He has in the Scriptures, whatever it might be, but it is a submission of our life, right? And when we submit to Him, right, and, and ask, you know, for us to, Lord, you, you take control. I think that's a daily thing, because here, this is a, this, the verb that's used, the tense is an ongoing thing. It's like... Um, Commentators say it's be being filled, like be continually filled, 
And so it's an ongoing thing. Every day, you and I need a filling. We need a yielding, right? Um, the way some people describe it is, you know, we have all of the Spirit when we get saved, but He doesn't have all of us necessarily all of the time, right? That's that idea of a yieldedness. Um, and I don't, I mean, I'm not disputing that there are not, uh, uh, you know, you can look at the book of Acts and see it like, it's like at certain times, uh, you know, the apostles, they got a boost, okay? I'll just call it that. It's not a theological term. It's like I got a boost, you know, and Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, boom, preached and 3,000 people got saved. I'd say that's like a boost, okay? The Spirit came upon him in such a way that it had this effect, okay? And so that can happen. I think God can do that when he wants, but I'm saying we do have all of the Spirit in, the, in this sense of him sealing us and being in us, but he doesn't always have all of us. And so the, the, the Holy Spirit, my point in bringing us up, again, is does he play such a vital role in our daily lives as Christ followers, okay? And so now we come upon this passage here that talks about the sword of the Spirit. Now, I'm going to talk about something else related to the Spirit. It seems like I keep avoiding talking about the actual thing I'm supposed to be talking about. But there are some things that come up in my mind as a pastor uh, that I just want to talk about that I think is important. Sometimes, uh, you, know, uh, we, you know, this might seem obvious to us, but we should not pit the Spirit of God against the Word of God. They never should be put in opposition, okay? In fact, anything that you feel the Spirit's prompting you to do, to do should never contradict what Scripture has already said, okay? And that'll make clear here, it'll be clear here in a minute why that would be, okay? But it's just that, you know, um, you know, some people say the Spirit is leading them to do something sometimes, and it's contradictory to what the Scriptures clearly said, and that can't be the Spirit. Now, sometimes there's just things that are just, you know, I felt prompted before to go up to a, to a uh, what do you call like a first responder and tell them thank you. This was years ago. Yeah, I mean, there's no verse on that, okay? But I, but I just felt like he, you know, for whatever reason, again, that was very subjective, felt like he needed to um, be appreciated, Okay, um, and, and so, but there are other things, though, that in the name of God are said to be done, which are clearly not God, all right? But now, the reason I say this, too, is that there are two extremes in Christendom in the world of churches, and again, I'm talking extremes. There's lots of gray in the middle. In one extreme, you have um, a, a kind of church that is... Uh, they would say, we are very Bible-centered here. We study it in depth, and everything we do is based on it. Well, that's a good thing. Nothing wrong with that, right? I would hope that we would say we do that. Uh, they seem to be very focused on growing in their understanding of the Word of God and how to interpret it and understand it and apply it. But the thing is, they hardly rarely talk about the Spirit of God. It's like the Spirit is, you know, the, the crazy cousin we just don't like to talk about because we don't know what to do with him, right? And so... So there's that end of the spectrum, if you will. But again, I, I'm not saying that being word-centered is bad, but there needs to be balance here, okay? On the other side of things, right, uh, you would have a church that emphasizes the Holy Spirit in the life of the individual believer and in the life of the church, which is not a bad thing. They seem to focus on promptings of the Spirit, learning how to be filled and empowered by the Spirit, or understanding how to walk according to the Spirit. All those things are good, but there's very little talk about 
the word of God, or it's kind of like secondary to the, whatever we're going to talk about the spirit today. And there's, there's not a lot talk about the, the word and the importance of our own study and grappling with it and learning how to grasp it and wield it in the context of the sword of the spirit. And so um, it should be a both and, not an either or, okay? It should be word and spirit, okay? And I just want to point that out because I think that, I think we would want to strive as a church to be both and. It's both, you know, God wants us to learn how to walk in step with the Spirit. He also wants us to learn how to handle the Word of God. Um, and so um, it just, I thought that would be good for us to just mention that. Now, um, H.B. Charles Jr., I've got a quote from him up here. He's a pastor in, I think, in the Chicago, Illinois area. Uh, I've been uh, listening to some of his messages over time and read some of his books. Really enjoy his teaching and he had this quote, I really loved it, so I just want to share with you. It says, you never get so much of the Spirit that you don't need the Word, and you never get so much of the Word that you don't need the Spirit. And I think that's just what we're trying to talk about here. This we're trying to say, well, this has got to be, we need both, okay? We need both. Um, so uh, are you with me? All right, we need both. We need the Spirit and the Word. We need the Spirit and the Word. Now, as we kind of move into this, I was just thinking about why is the Word of God in this passage, in this little segment we're on, uh, Ephesians 6.17, why is the Word of God referred to as the Spirit, excuse me, the sword of the Spirit? Why is that? And as I was thinking about that, I thought of really two things, two things. One is that the Spirit of God, which is the Holy Spirit, is the author of the written Word of God, right? So if 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 he equates in this passage... Which isn't it wonderful that at least with this piece of armor, there's no dispute what it means, <laughs> right? The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I love that. We don't have to speculate. We don't have to wonder, right? It's very clear, right? Um, and so, so here, if you think about when it says the sword of the spirit, think about it as it's it, it, the the word of God uh, originates with the spirit of God. Okay, the word of God originates with the spirit of God, and some of you guys, if you grew up in church and memorized scripture, or if you were in the Awana program, or even maybe memorized verses back here in our kids' ministry, this verse would have been uh, probably among them, 2 Timothy 3.16, right, where it says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training, and for training in righteousness. Now, some of you might have other versions that don't use that phrase breathed out. What does it say? Inspired, right? All Scripture is inspired by God. But what you need to realize is that we have this, you know, English idea of inspiration as kind of this, aha, you know, or I feel moved to, you know, whatever, you know, draw something, this inspiration. And this is different than that. This is, this inspiration means the kind of the breath of God. That's what it means. The word of God is like the breath of God. It's his words. So I like how the ESV puts it here. All scriptures breathed out by God. Now, um, obviously, uh, when, you, when you pick up your Bible and you read it, right, um, you see that we know that men wrote this book, right? <laughs> they wrote these things. But they did it under, if we will say, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 
he moved in their hearts and in their minds. And this is my take. I don't think it was a dictation, okay? Although there are times when we do read in the Bible, thus saith the Lord, right? Okay, so that's, there would be at least those quotations we see. That's a dictation. But like when you read, we read this book of Ephesians, this is the letter, right, that the apostle Paul wrote to a specific church, right? And so the Holy Spirit worked through this man named Paul using his upbringing, his personality, his strengths, his weaknesses, if you will, to write down exactly what God wanted, okay? Um, and so when we, when we say, like in our statement of faith, which is just a very typical, I would say, evangelical Christian statement of faith, when we talk about the Word of God, it's going to say we, we believe basically the entire Word of God is fully inspired, verbally inspired, every word, okay? Not just the ideas, not just the phrases, uh, but every word, okay? Every word. And so, and there's, there's good reason for that. We don't have a lot of time to get in that, but every word is the Word of God, okay? Uh, the Bible doesn't just contain the Word of God. It is the Word of God. You hear me? Not just parts of it are inspired, the whole thing, okay? Because you, you really have to accept it wholesale or not at all. Otherwise, you're not being true to yourself, right? Because you don't know which parts to cut out or which to not if it's not all the Word of God, okay? So, um, the Holy Spirit, ultimately the author of the Scriptures, right? So, if it's called the, the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God, it would make sense that, okay, it has the authority coming from God, right? And so... The sword of the Spirit, it is, it's from God, it's from the Holy Spirit, breathed out by God. It's important that we realize that it has this authority, okay? At some point, you have to come to terms with, with the authority of the Scriptures, that what we have here in our hands is an accurate understanding of what the Word of God actually is, that it is the Word of God. You have to come to this conclusion, and I would just encourage you. If, if, you're, if you're not sure about that, um, here, I've got some homework for you. And it, it's, if you can watch a video, you can do this, okay? We watched this one video in our small group one time. If you just, if you just take a YouTube search and you search for Sean McDowell, S-E-A-N McDowell, and look for, you know, just, just put in the Bible. And uh, he'll have some videos on there of explanations that really show how authentic the New Testament documents are, how reliable they are, and really to show you this is not just taking it on faith. This is there is a very good and reasonable um, evidence to show that what we have is the Word of God and reliable, okay? This whole idea that, you know, translation and going down through the ages as you lose its meaning, that's, that's this totally uh, misunderstanding of how things work in the translation world, okay? So anyway, uh, the other thing, and this is resource day today, um, if you're interested in knowing how they decided which books of the Bible would go in the Protestant Bible and this sort of thing, you would want, I would encourage you to read a book called From God to Us. From God to Us by, I think it's Norman Geisler. He does a good job of explaining the overall um, rules that they came up with to decide what met the test of, of authenticity, 
And then also they, he dives into, if you want to get into the, into the weeds, he dives into specific books of the Bible that were disputed and why they were included. And then he also does talk about the Apocrypha, you know, some of the historical books that are not in the Protestant, Protestant Bible and maybe why they were not included. Okay, so if you're looking for an understanding of that, which some people want to know that, uh, and I think it's good, um, but those are some resources. But all scripture is breathed out by God. And I love this because it's, it's not like, you know, it's not like there are some parts of the Bible that are useful to us and other parts that aren't. All scripture, right? Profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So in other words, it helps us learn about God, right? It, it helps us know when we're off track, that's the reproof. Helps us know how to get back on track, that's the correction. Help us know how to stay on the path, that's the training in righteousness. All those things, okay? Um, and so the word of God is, you know, is called the, the sword of the spirit because he, is, he has written the word of God, the, the Holy Spirit, and used these men in their times and places to do that. Now, um, another scripture that's, I think, important for you to know and for you to understand here and, and to hang on to. Um, the, it says in Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any Two-edged sword. Here we are with the sword again, right? Piercing the division of soul and of the spirit and of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Have you ever heard a message preached or read the word of God yourself and the spirit of God just cut you to the quick, convicted you, like, and just said, you know, man, I need to stop doing this thing or man, God's just moving in my heart to propel me to go do this. And you just, it's like, he just took that sword of the word of God and just jumped, filleted you out in love, right? Truly, in love, okay? Um, and so uh, and this, the word of God does this. It's living and active, active, and it's powerful, and we need to see that. You know, when we're talking about using this sword of the spirit uh, against our enemy, the devil, you got to realize the word of God is powerful, it's not just sweet little sayings or memes that you've got on Facebook, okay? It is the Word of God. and has the power of the Word of God if we truly understand and apply it. I want to just wait one more thing about um, the uniqueness of the Bible. Um, just, just, to, just to encourage you that um, the amazing divineness of it. One aspect, just the unity of the Bible, how it fits together. An amazing thing. Um, I, was, I got this from uh, this little quote I'm going to say here from Answers in Genesis. They just had lots of reasons to believe the Bible. And, and this one about unity, how it fits together, just really struck me. It says, the Bible was written over a period of roughly 2,000 years by 40 different authors from three different continents and they wrote in three different languages. And one of the most remarkable qualities is the complete unity of the overall message, despite having so many different authors writing over the centuries. Isn't that amazing? That, and it fits together, and it has the same theme of redemption, despite writing in radically different times and in contexts. The Bible's many authors are told the same message about God's eternal plan from creation to flood to Christ's work on the cross, the consummation of God's plan. 
And you can find the same truth stated by Moses in the Old Testament prophets, Christ himself and Christ's apostles. It doesn't conflict, it unites. Isn't that amazing? Okay, and you know, um, and some people will say, well, I don't believe it because it's got so many contradictions. You know what your first statement should be after that is? Show me one, okay? First, and the reason I say that is not to be a smart aleck, but because some people just heard that somewhere and they don't even know one. They just feel like it kind of keeps you at bay. They want to talk about that. It might have to get, it might have implications on my life, you know? Because that's, isn't that really where it comes down to? Right? So, because, you know, once you start realizing the Bible is the word of God, then it has authority over my life, which means some things got to change, people. I mean, at least it did in my life. I know about yours, okay? It's a, you know, it's a mirror, like it says in the book of James, and it shows me how I really am. And, uh, and uh, you know, some things I don't like what I see. And uh, God's going to help me, right? Become more Christ-like. And so, um, so now, the Bible might have what some people call apparent contradictions. They seem like they don't fit together. They seem contradictory, but I'll tell you what, almost every one of those that I can think of has a, a way to explain it. So if somebody asks, actually has one and they ask you and you don't know, you say, what do you say? Say, well, let me check on that. I'll go back to you. I'm sure there's an answer for that, right? Um, so I just, I'm just telling you, the unity of the Bible, just that one little aspect is amazing, right? And there's no dispute about, I mean, like, like general time periods when these things were written, you know, and that you have all these different authors over all this different time, and it has one unifying theme, redemption, Christ as, as the Messiah. I mean, it's just amazing. You should just know that. You should have great confidence, right, that when we wield the sword of the Spirit, it is the Word of God, Okay? which means when we sit down and read it, God has spoken, right? He has spoken and he's got something to say to us. He has said it and he wants to speak into our lives. All right, so that's one reason that the Bible is called the sword of the Spirit is because it has the authority of the Spirit. It was originated through the Spirit of God, right? The breath of God. Another reason why uh, the Word of God is referred to as the Spirit the sword of the Spirit, is that the Holy Spirit will wield the Word of God that we have stored up in our hearts. You know, when you wield something, that's, you know, language of talking about a weapon, right? It's how you handle it, okay? The Holy Spirit, so the sword of the Spirit, He's going to wield the Word, but guess what? You got to have it stored up, okay? This is not, I've mentioned this before, it's not like the Matrix and they hook you up and they're downloading the Bible, Okay? There is a your part to this, okay? You and I have to get into the Word of God, and it has to be stored up in our hearts, not just informational, not just being able to answer the Bible quiz questions, okay? And it's nothing wrong with being able to answer those questions, but it's, it's more than that. It's engaging the Bible. It's, it's, it's understanding it and applying it to our lives. has to be stored up in our hearts. Uh, This may be a familiar verse. I don't know. Psalm 119, uh, verse 11. The entire Psalm 119, right, is really about the importance of the Word of God. That entire Psalm, the longest longest, um, 
chapter there in the Psalms, right? Psalm 119 verse 11 says, David says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So we see, right, just from that one verse, David says, how am I going to walk the righteous path? I got to get the word of God stored up in my heart so that I can wield the sword of the Spirit, right, so that the Holy Spirit can draw on that which I have stored in my heart and use it to defeat all the lies and the temptations that come my way from the devil, okay? And so we cannot pull out that which is not there, okay? Some people just feel like, you know, oh, you know, I don't really need to know the Bible. I just got to, you know, I got the Holy Spirit. You know, he'll, he'll, he'll bring all this to mind. Well, if it hasn't been exposed to your brain, I don't think he's going to give it to you. Not typically, okay? Not the typical MO, all right? Now, can the Holy Spirit help us to have an answer in that day that when we stand before somebody, have to give a defense, like is in the context of that one verse that does say that the Lord will give you those words in that day? Yes, he will. Okay? Now, question becomes then, how can we store up God's word in our heart? And this is really where we're going, you guys, because if we're going, if we're going to fight the devil with the sword of the Spirit, we got to have it stored up. This is really just the bottom line, okay? So how can we do that? Oh, actually, before we get there, I was just thinking about this. Um, we see Jesus as a wonderful example, right? When he was tempted in the desert out there, and when it's recorded in Matthew chapter 4, why don't you go ahead and turn there with me or go on your device to Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Um, now, I really, I just want to say this. I, I think that in, in my view, the, the reason for this passage is not necessarily to show us like the, you know, this is how you handle temptation, although we can use that as an application. I really think what was happening here is Jesus is going out into the wilderness to be submitted uh, or to be subjected to all these temptations and he's going to come out victorious. Whereas the first Adam did not. Okay, the first Adam failed, and we're all product of that. Okay, we're all sinners now. We all sin on our own, but also our what would the some call the federal head Adam, he messed up, and therefore all uh, of the offspring after that are messed up too because we're sinners now. But Jesus Christ, what the Bible in another place calls the second Adam, he had to live the perfect life, and that's what we see displayed here in Matthew chapter four. He's, he's walking, he's being subjected to temptation, but walking flawlessly and perfectly, okay? But nonetheless, there's some things we can learn from Jesus, okay, obviously, all right? Matthew chapter 4, then Jesus, verse 1, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him to, and said to him, if you are the Son of God, kind of an attack on his identity in a sense, if you are the Son of God, Command these stones to become loaves of bread. And Jesus comes back with, it is written. In other words, I know my Bible, in a sense, right? He says, it is written. Uh, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And by the way, um, sometimes people look at it and say, well, that was Jesus, man. No way I can be like that. Okay, listen. Jesus was fully human. You know, in, uh, you have to check it out, Luke 252, I think, 
where it says he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. He had to grow up just like a kid too. He had to grow in wisdom. He studied the scriptures, okay? So just want to say, don't play the Jesus card and that doesn't give you an escape, okay? Okay, so he said, it is written. That was his way of coming at the devil, right? In a sense, with the sword of the spirit, he says, it is written. You shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Well, then guess what happens next, right? The devil, it says, took him to the holy city, verse 5, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. And then, guess what? Wow, the devil pulls out the Bible. What? You know, what are you talking about? He says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. He says, because it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And you see, so he's quoting these different passages, right? Uh, prophetically speaking about what would happen to Jesus. And so it's fascinating now. So the devil's not stupid, okay? He knows Bible, but he always twists it, right? <laughs> and here he's trying to misapply it, right? And what does Jesus do? I love it. Jesus said to him, verse 7, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. In other words, you got to have the, you got to know the scriptures, not just little bits and pieces. You got to know how it fits together. The devil was trying to get him to say, oh, hey, the Bible says that. If you're going to follow the Bible, you got to do this. No, but it also says, I don't need, you know, I don't need to be testing God like that, just throw myself off there just to test him. You know, that's, so, so it's important here. The reason I'm bringing this up, first of all, just to see Jesus's, you know, example, wielding the sword of the spirit, the word of God. He had a handle on it. He had to study it. He had to grow in wisdom, it says. And so um, he knew not only what the words were, but he knew how they applied. Okay. It's one thing to read words on a page. It's another to see how they fit together. That's more challenging, isn't it? Right? I've read my Bible plenty of times in different places that I don't even know. I was like, God, what does that mean? How does that even fit with what came before it? There's a total change here. What's going on? You know? And it's, you know, you just got to be real. Um, but, but, you know, there, the, the word of God is understandable, but sometimes it just takes a lot of work and prayer. Okay? All right. So, how can we store up God's word in our hearts? I'm so glad you asked. All right. So, here, here's some things. Um, here's some things to think about. One is just prayerfully read study, reflect, and apply the Bible at least four times a week. Prayerfully read, study, reflect, and apply the Bible. I, should, I guess I should say reflect upon or something like that. Um, and I should not say work. I meant to change that after the first service, but, you know, somebody went a little long and uh, didn't have time to change that. It was me. Um, and so I didn't want to imply Nick. Was, uh, um, but it was me. I went a little over. But anyway. Um, Four to, at least four times a week. I'm going to get to that in a minute. But listen, prayerfully, when you're in your Bible, so, you, you know, if we, want to, if we want to store it up, we've got to be exposed to it, right? We've got to read it, and we want to read it prayerfully. So you approach it, you say, Lord, you know, I hope you start your, your study with prayer, as well as pray while you're studying it. Um, ask God for understanding. And help him to understand all this stuff. And so um, that's one thing. But, but don't just leave it, leave it at reading. Um, I, I think it's okay to, 
You know, by the way, true confessions here, I have a hard time keeping up with a lot of reading plans. Um, you know, there's these Bible reading plans, and some of them, like, there's, I have to read so many chapters, and I'm just slow. I'm, I'm a slow, like a little pup, 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 you know, a uh, little motorboat, but I, I like to camp out over a certain area, and I just not, I, I'm just, I found that I just can't keep up with those plans, and there's nothing wrong if you keep up with them, more power to you. Um, but I think there is something too, even if you're, if you're getting a broad view of Scripture, these plans, a lot of times a broad view of Scripture, reading a lot at a time, it's good to also spend some time camping out, okay? I'll get into that in a minute, but that's the study part. Um, but you don't want to just study it for information. You want to reflect on it. You know, whenever I prepare a message, I'm always, there's, I always have a lot of questions. I read a passage, like, what does that mean, right? I mean, especially this Ephesians 6, you're like, they give you, they give you a phrase for what something is, and you're like, now you're trying to figure out, what, is that, what does that mean? How is that a piece of armor, you know? And so you have lots of questions, and you got to write down your questions. When you're studying your Bible, write down your questions and seek the answers, okay? That's how you learn. That's how you learn. You, you, God's, God may have you asking these questions about what this means and how this, so that you can, he wants to speak to your life. He wants to speak to your life through that word. He wants you to wrestle with it, okay? And so um, I say at least four times a week, and I could spend a lot of time on this, but uh, we mentioned this uh, several years ago, uh, but I'll mention it again. And this is why I say at least four times a week. There was a study done by the Center for Bible Engagement a big study on um, not only the Bible reading habits of people, but their, their life choices through a survey, okay? And so um, here's what they found. It says, a key discovery from the, the, Bible, uh, the Center for Bible Engagement Research is that the life of someone who engages Scripture four or more times a week looks radically different from the life of someone who does not. In fact, the lives of Christians who do not engage the Bible most days of the week are statistically the same as the lives of non-believers. Someone who engages the Bible four more times a week is, listen to this, 228% more likely to share their faith with others, 407% more likely to, to memorize Scripture, 59% less likely to view pornography. And you could go on and on and on the effect the Word of God has as we get it in our hearts. It transforms us. It's living and active, okay? And so, and i just bringing that out there, not to guilt anyone, but to say, do we want to live lives that are glorifying to God? If we do, it's clear from the math, okay? I'm just saying, okay? And that's just a few stats. Like, there's a whole thing. If you just use Center for Bible Engagement, you will have fun if you're a statistician, Sherry. You'll love that. Okay? But anyway, um, so I'm just encouraging us. Store it up. Take it in. And the more you take it in and read it, you'll end up memorizing some of it. And you'll start seeing God speaking to your heart about areas of your life or just giving you a word of encouragement or Whatever it is, it's just always from God. It's a timely word, okay? Now, all right, so next thing here, just some tools. I'm going to run through this real quick. 
And if you want more, if you want more information on this point, I'd be happy to talk to you more or send you some specific things. But you need, I think, a good study Bible. If you want to study the Word of God, you need a good study Bible because it gives you, at the beginning of every book of the Bible, a good overview, a good historical background, a cultural background. And those are the things that we typically just don't know, you know, unless you've studied at a seminary somewhere, you don't know that. But they've distilled a lot of those facts at the beginning of every book of the Bible. And then they oftentimes tell you, like, they kind of outline it uh, according to what they feel like it should be outlined, that, that, that kind of thing. Um, but then at the bottom of the pages are notes. Now, just please know the notes are not inspired by God, okay? They're just somebody's, some scholar's ideas, thoughts on a verse or two, uh, maybe explaining a word that's used, explaining something that's cultural that you don't understand. Uh, and that's good information because that can shed some light. So much of, I mean, our Bible's not written from a Western perspective, okay? <laughs> Middle Eastern, okay? <laughs> it really is. And so uh, we don't know some of these things. We don't know Jewish culture typically. So it helps to have insight from some of these notes. So um, a couple of good ones. There's a plenty of them out there, but ESV Study Bible, NIV Study Bible, both of those are real good, well-known. I think uh, D.A. Carson wrote the notes, helped with the notes on the study, NIV Study Bible. Just, but there's plenty of other ones, okay? Study Bible is good. Um, it's okay to write in your Bible. I hope you do. There's nothing sacrilegious about it, okay? Um, you, should, you should, anything that sticks out to you or you got questions on, circle it, highlight it, however you want to do it. Um, I like to have Bibles or stuff that have wide margins on it so that I can, I mean, I got terrible handwriting, so if I try to make it tiny, I just, it just looks even worse. So, you know, you want to try to write in it things that God's showing you. That your, your homework that you've done, that you studied, you put it in there. Um, and then... Um, I would encourage you, it's okay to do topical studies, it's fine, but I would encourage you to have a regular diet of diving into a single book of the Bible. Pick something and dive into it. Uh, Jen Wilkins, who, who leads a lot of women Bible studies at uh, the Village Church in Texas, she recommends, and I agree, um, the book of James is a great one. If you're looking for a book to study, pick James. So much application in there, so much application, so much we can relate to. Um, it's a good place to start. Or if you want one of the, uh, want to read more about Jesus, uh, the book of Mark is the shortest gospel, okay? Good place to start. So um, at least four times a week, get in there, study it. Um, the more, se- more of your senses that you get exposed to this process, the better off you're going to be, the more it's going to become a part of you. Some of you, some of you have trouble reading, Okay. Uh, maybe struggle with dyslexia or have other issues with reading. And so it's a great thing that we live in the age we do because the Bible is on audio, right? Uh, even in the version app that we use, right? You can go in there, you can listen to chapter after chapter after chapter over and over and over. And so it's helpful. And so um, at the very least, here's what you ought to do. When you, when you read uh, uh, the book of the Bible, a book of the Bible or something, what does it teach you about God? Okay, what does it teach you about God? What do you learn about God? And how does that affect your life? Okay, because the Bible primarily is a book about God. As much as we might like to think it's about us, it's about Him. And this book was written to, to show us who He is and His plan, plan of redemption, yes, but 
we, you know, just start writing down. This is what I learned about God. This is what I learned about the Holy Spirit. This is what I learned about Jesus. And, and how that helps you grow in your faith. Now, I could go on and on and on, but there are books written on how to study the Bible. But I just want to, I just want to uh, put it out there and encourage you to say, are you getting enough of it? Have you seen, okay, this, I'm going to be in trouble for that. I'm probably going to run over time here. So have you seen the worship leaders that are chucking their faith and other pastors, right? The guy from Hawk Nelson, right? Uh, the, another guy, I can't really know their names. Um, but, and I, my heart goes out to them, okay? But something is missing there, okay? Leading thousands to worship our Lord. There's something missing. And the guy... The guy from the lead singer from Skillet, I saw an interview with him. He said, and he's following the Lord, okay? He said, we have to learn to feed ourselves. That's what he said. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, amen to that. You know, we got to feed ourselves Bible, okay? And honestly, I mean, I can't imagine going on the road like that. These people uh, that are on, on, on uh, the, the trail, they're not going to church typically. He, he said that, we're not going to church typically. Um, we're not engaged in any kind of sense of community, really. And so you do that for years, it's going to have an effect on your life. You know, and I don't mean to be going off on worship leaders. I love worship leaders. I love Charlie, you know. But I'm, but I'm just saying that that's, that's come up in the news lately, okay? And um, I just wonder, there may be a lot of complexity to that, but just a part of it, I wonder if the Word of God was there on a regular basis. I wonder if they got their questions answered. You know? It's okay to have questions. We have doubts. Explore them. Okay? Explore them. Sean McDowell said that his dad wasn't afraid of, his, of, of Sean's doubts. And he said that his dad told him, he says, you got to go where the evidence leads you. Of course, he's, he's the quintessential apologist, right? And so he's like, because he wasn't afraid to say, follow the evidence. Because he knew where it was going to lead if you're really going to be true to yourself to the evidence, okay? So anyway, I hope, I hope that today we've been stirred up a little bit to want to get with the Word of God and let the Holy Spirit store it up so that we can fight the battles, okay? Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time. Lord. We need you. We need your word. Give us a love for the word. Help us to be more like the David of Psalm 119. He loves your word. Speak to us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.